Style Podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. In this episode, I'm joined by Matthew Halliday, who's previously an applications architect at Oracle, um, and now, more recently, he's actually a co-founder at Incorta. Um, so, Matthew, do you want to uh, introduce yourself, really, and uh, welcome to the show? Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's great, great to be here. Yeah, so, um, as you mentioned, I started out my career at Oracle, uh, got tricked into joining the company in some respects, or at least I didn't really know what I was getting into. Uh, I joined Oracle because I saw a fancy brochure and I thought, wow, that looks like a cool company. This was back in the you know the late 90s when the internet hadn't really taken off in the way that it has now. And so I, I joined this company and on day one, I was sitting next to an accountant with an accountant in front of me for a week and a half talking about general ledger, accounts payables, accounts receivables. I thought, what in the world have I got myself into? Uh, fast track a few years, I ended up becoming the applications architect for all of the financials and procurement products within Oracle. And with that was you know, a lot of responsibility for actually creating the very first Oracle Fusion environment where I had to source 55,000 tables, which I'm trying to think maybe might be the largest ETL process in the world, I'm guessing, and uh, bring all those objects in. And... Uh, create that fusion data model, bringing in PeopleSoft, Oracle EBS together. I then went to work at Microsoft. I wanted to change of pace. I uh, spent a few years there working on their enterprise applications. Uh, that was kind of a fun ride. And then um, Oracle kind of coerced me to come back and join them as an applications architect, working with some of their largest customers through the United States and helping them understand and leverage the Oracle technology for their business applications. It was at that time that I met uh, one of the co-founders of Encorda, and uh, we worked very closely on some products together. And then one day, um, shared the idea for Encorda. And it was at that point that I was like, I really couldn't go back to what I was doing. I was just so excited about the, the potential and the possibility of what Encorda could provide that I was all in from the get-go. Um, fast forward again, five years, I'm responsible for products at Encorda and uh, working with our development teams, working with our customers uh, to, to build out this next um, generation or next transformative change, I would say, in the in the business of analytics. Okay, okay. So you you, you, were, you were surprised when you uh, <clears throat> when you said you joined Oracle and it was uh, it was about accounting. Um, I remember speaking to uh, to Mike Darren, who's one of the PMs in the Oracle analytics team, and he said when he joined Oracle in the uh, late eighties, he thought it was a um, a, the actual teletext company uh, that uh, competed with uh, with CFAX. So imagine the surprise he had when he uh, was made into his, uh, product manager for Discoverer shortly afterwards. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite funny. Yeah, I remember those days when uh, used to find out what was going on and what's going to be on the TV and the channels, etc. Yes, yes, the football scores and that sort of thing. So, uh, but yeah, so when, what, what interested me about speaking to you was 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 the um, the fact that it, as you say, you you were um, one of the architects working on. Um, Working on, I suppose the the ETL you know, processes and data migrations into uh, into um, into the fusion sort of tables, fusion apps, and and I suppose how that has um, how that has fed into what you're doing now within Corta and how you're trying, I suppose, to address some of the challenges and um, and and things you know, suppose some of the things customers were trying to do then that was a challenge. I mean, take take us back then, really, to when you worked at Oracle and you're working on that task there of of that ETL process and those ETL routines. Customers were speaking to you about what they were trying to do. What are the challenges that you were seeing there at the time um, that have led, I suppose, into what you're doing now in Quarter? You know what? It, it really spans back to um, a presentation I remember Larry Ellison gave at Oracle saying, 
when he would ask for just the number of employees at Oracle, it would take them a couple of weeks to give him the answer. And I, I was kind of blown away, right? With all of this technology that we had with this immensely powerful database, uh, why couldn't we answer those simple questions? You know, some of it at the time was down to, you know, global single instance and merging um, all these different uh, instances of ERP into one. Um, and then once we did that, we ended up creating another monstrosity of a problem called incredible scale um, of transactions on a highly normalized data model where we had all of these join relationships, which was fantastic for OLTP-based applications. So when you're updating, inserting, they work really great. But when you want to do analysis across everything, it became almost impossible. And so one of the, the things, especially in the finance sector that we were trying to address is how, how do you take something like highly aggregated GL postings um, and then be able to drill down into those details? And so, you know, Hyperion became like a huge kind of dominant player in that space. And then Oracle acquired Hyperion. And then we spent a lot of time figuring out how do we merge these two together? And so one of the projects I worked on there was where we took Hyperion inside and started ma- maintaining the cubes as well as the OLTP, and then trying to create connections between them. It's always been this challenge of going from that. Yeah. Right. It's going from aggregate all the way down to detail. So that's, that's always been there. And so why we've not been able to really get at that, um, customers have had to go down other paths, right? So we, we look at, okay, let's take the data. Let's, let's take it from 55,000 tables, which reside in the Oracle EBS environment, and let's try and reduce that to a single big fact table with a bunch of dimension tables around it. Because largely, we were just trying to work around the data model, which worked really well for data entry, for updates, and for concurrency of users. But for analysis, ah, it didn't really cut it. And that's, that's where the kind of the data warehouse started coming out of. And, and that becomes a whole different beast and animal in its own right. Bringing all this data in, connecting, transforming the shape, flattening of data, aggregating it, understanding the requirements of what the questions people are going to ask, all becomes incredibly complex. And whenever someone wants to make a change, it felt like it was a house of cards, right? To go back and say, okay, I'll make this change. And then, well, how does that affect all my ETL processes? How do I really understand that this is not going to mess things up? And it became really, really you know, error prone, very, very difficult, and certainly nothing that someone could just take off the shelf, purchase, and start getting instant data from. So it's always been this painful challenge. And in some respects, I think people you know, take pride in the fact that they're fixing a really complicated problem and using these complicated tools and doing it in a complicated way um, because it really shows that, you know, hey, we're smart, we can do this. But I've always thought there's got to be a better way of addressing this this common problem of going from aggregates to detail and having flexibility at the same time to navigate where you want to go. Okay. Okay. So I remember. So I interrupted you there, but that, that, I remember. I remember sitting in a in an open world presentation about about that um, about that link. I think between S space and, and the and the BR and the and EBS. And at the time, thinking that was you know it's quite a, I suppose quite a, a brave uh, a brave quite a challenge to take it on really to do that. And I, I don't think it ever sort of went any further than that. Uh, and but, I, but one thing I saw that you were also involved in. Uh, was the Indeco extensions to EBS? I mean, and again, I can see sort of in a way parallels, or certainly a kind of common theme there with the things you're doing now in course. I mean, what, what was that? What was that kind of product or that initiative about at the time? Yeah, so you know, I remember when I first saw Indeca and the EBS extensions for Indeca, I was kind of really blown away. I thought this is really, really cool. I got super excited about that multifaceted search capability that you could 
you know, drill down to the details that you wanted to see. And so I remember I, I kind of got my hands on the Indaka product and I pulled in the Oracle bug database into Indaka and started looking at it that way, partly because of my frustrations on how to navigate around bugs inside of um, the Oracle tool set. What, what then happened is um, I started going and talking to customers and presenting to them the EBS extensions for Indaka. And the, 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 the room would change. People would get so like, you know, on the edge of their seat, you see them paying attention. They would put their phones down and, and everything was going great, right? They would say, this, this is amazing. This is like, this has brought new life to Oracle EBS. And it really had this great promise. Everything went well until there was always one question. And it's like, can this replace my data warehouse and OBIE? And, and it was always, no, this is, this is an addition. It, it handles current data sets, maybe three months worth of data. And there was just a lot of problems because one of the things with Indaka is you needed a flattened um, data set, right? And to do that, you had to put those against these views. So we created these Indaka views inside of Oracle EBS, Problem with that is those views were really hard to platoon. And so we spent the majority of our time not building dashboards, but working on performance tuning of the views just to pump the data out. And so you couldn't get to near real time and you couldn't bring in the data volume people wanted. And that's when I saw people were just kind of, okay, it's it became then just a, it's a UX improvement for you know navigating my 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 open transactions. Okay, I I don't, I don't think I'm gonna go down that path. So it didn't get the traction that I thought it was going to get at the beginning. That, that was the thing in, in, in quarter that kind of got me excited. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, yeah, I, I think the, the point I suppose to me is, is it's, it's pointing to a need there, isn't it? In the, it's pointing, you know, the fact people were on the edge of their seats and they did put the phones down. It, it, it must've sort of said to you, you know, this is a problem that has yet to be solved and, and there's a lot of value in it for customers. If you do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at Oracle, I remember uh, whenever we'd get the quarterly results, uh, our VP would have you know a spreadsheet and they would go through and do analysis and would say, how was the quarter? How did our products do? That, that would take a few weeks before they could ingest, digest that data and synthesize it in a way that we could then learn about you know how our products were doing in the marketplace. Uh, that's with all of the horsepower of the Sun acquisition, all of the engineering and product development. We still didn't have what I would say is really, you know, freedom and data access um, to look at the data that was pertinent to our business to understand how to use it. Okay. So, so the other reason I was keen to speak to you is you, 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 I think you put out quite a provocative um, blog post recently, which was, yeah, the problem with ETL and star schemas and generally making the kind of point, I suppose, that, that, our current way of trying to build data warehouses and do analytics on on these complex um, you know, OLTP type systems is 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 kind of broken and is not fit for purpose. I suppose really. I mean, maybe take, maybe starting at the start of that post and talking about, I suppose the roots the of, of, of relational databases and how they came out of the kind of COD date kind of rules for data normalization. What what is the inherent problem really in trying to do analytics on these types of data sources and 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 you know how does ETL if anything make this kind of worse really? Yeah, so I will say this. There's two parts to ETL, right? There's the good, which I would say is the data enrichment. You're bringing additional value to the data. Maybe you're you know, cleaning up the data because of you know, duplicates or you're creating additional business rules. Maybe there's um, like revenue, for example, you want to factor in um, loyalties or things that you might have to pay, right? Those, those are kind of bringing value to them. The other part, the dirty, ugly kind of underbelly of ETL, which I think is the kind of core problem, is that you need to transform the data. 
you need to take the shape of the data and, and then make some assumptions on what are the columns that are important. Uh, how do I want to aggregate this? How am I going to put this into a data model that I can slice and dice? And the first question you have to ask before you can even start that process is you need to go to the business and ask them, what are the questions that you're going to ask for the next three years of your data? So I can go build a data model to satisfy it. And I'll come back to you in nine to 12 months. That, well, one is the, the question to business is completely unrealistic, right? Um, imagine our conversation today if you could not ask a follow-up question to anything. And I'd say something, you're like, wow, I didn't anticipate that. I wish I could ask a follow-up, but we'll say, well, maybe next year we'll have that. The conversation would be really jagged and weird and, and you'd just be like, well, that's, that's, not, that's not how we converse. That's not how we think. We make connections and see things as things develop. And so that's, that's kind of one of the, the core uh, problems. Now, what, is under, what I think is fundamentally the bottom of the root cause of all this is there's a few things. So first of all, we started off, we were predominantly disk-based with storing our data, right? So we started off with memory when I was at Oracle. I remember when we got, I think it was like a 52-megabyte uh, memory machine or something like that. It was like, wow, so much memory. I can, I can give, you know, one and a half megs of data to this Oracle instance or something. Everything was disk-based. <clears throat> and then <clears throat> it was also stored in a row level, right? So that all the information that you needed for a single transaction would be held in those pieces. Now, when it came to slicing and dicing it, um, that became problematic because we were storing the data in a way that wasn't conducive. So the first thing we did is, well, let's put things in a column of format. Great, because when I do analysis, I normally look at column A and columns D. I don't look at all of the columns for everything. And so storing it in that format lended itself. Second bit was memory. Memory all of a sudden you know, plummeted in cost and we saw memory footprint increasing. And that was phenomenal and great. And of course, you know, we started to leverage that, right? And that made things a lot faster. There's one final bit that was kind of never, ever resolved. And that was, how do I join data? How do I go from one table to another without having to go through this hash table join function without getting too complicated? That's not order n log n, so exponential when you add more joins, but is, is, is linear, right? How do I get to the point where I can run a query and literally have 60 tables in one single select statement and have that perform at scale when I'm not just looking for a particular month with a particular cost center, but I'm wanting to look at all my cost centers across all my months of business, right? That has been the Achilles heel of everything. And it's because of that, we've had to change the shape of the data. We've had to put it in a way that we can leverage some of these great advancements we've seen in terms of analytics. But largely, I would say the innovation we've seen in the last 10 years in analytics has been around flattened singular data sets, which is great if you're an IoT or click stream data. But if you're analyzing business systems, your ERP systems, your supply chain, your ITSM, all of those applications, that's not how your data is stored. And that has always been the major problem. It's, it's stored in a format that you could never use. Okay, okay. But uh, so uh, what about, I mean, okay, UX Oracle, so wouldn't uh, the solution to this be, say, putting it into, say, an S-based cube? Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if you could define, well, there's two problems, right, with that. One is you've got to, again, know all the questions you want to ask up front to define the cubes because the cubes are going to define what you want to look at. So if we were to say, you know, how many pens do you have? We say, okay, great. We're going to roll up the number of pens we have and we'll have that and we'll store pens by month. 
not be one of the you know dimensions to your cube. The next day you come in and you say, well, I need to know how many of those are black pens and red pens and blue pens. You're like, well, we don't know that, right? We have no insight into that level of detail. So then you say, okay, let's change the cube structure. Let's go ahead and then create the will roll up by color of pen. And then someone says, well, what about dry erase pens versus ballpoint pens? You're like, well, I didn't know you wanted that. So let's go back and do it again. And then all of a sudden, now you're permeating the number of types of pens times the number of colors times the number of months. Before long, your cubes don't perform. You know, they perform well up until maybe 5 million records. Beyond that, good luck. And so the maintenance of all these cubes, the loading of the cubes, and you still have ETL to feed into those cubes, it's not going to cut it either. Okay, okay. And, and the ETL part itself, I mean, just the sheer time it takes to, to build these mappings, to, to, to change them as data changes and so on. I mean, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen a, a full-blown data warehouse project in years, really, where people have invested, who've, who've committed to a kind of project of several years of ETL development uh, to do this sort of thing. I mean, do you find, again, that there's less appetite for that in the market now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I'm definitely seeing ETL processes still there, especially with large organizations that have been around for a while. What I am seeing, which is pretty interesting, is there's two things I think going on. One is there's people who have never built a data warehouse in their current company, right? So maybe they're a growth company. They've, they've gone to this point where they're like, we're at that point where we kind of need to go to that next level, but we've got you know challenges with or concerns about taking the data warehouse approach. And so people are saying, well, what alternatives do I have? I, I know that that's fraught with expense and problems and maintenance, and it's restrictive. And generally, those projects don't you know, bring customer delight to your end users. The other flip side, and what I see on those larger organizations, is that there's some, there's some activities taking place where they're looking at BI modernization, looking at the analytics footprints, and figuring out how do we change this. And there's an appetite to get out of the ETL business because... Um, I've been at companies where they literally employ you know, two people permanently just to keep their ETL processes running for accounts receivable. Just one area of their e-business suite. And they have two people because they always have problems. There's things they need to check and they need to make sure that those reports are correct. I've seen countless customers where prior to Encorda, they, they have these ETL processes and then through no fault of their own, they have human error in them, right? It's going to happen. When they go to Encorda, they say the results don't match. And then we find out that they were, they were living with problems in the ETL process they didn't have because it's not easy to get right. It's not something you can just pick up and do. You need to have really good technical skills in a particular product. Plus, you need to understand the business requirements and the application. So it's, it's a very unique role that understands so many different areas that it's really become super difficult to sustain this um, with any kind of sanity in reality. Okay. Okay. So, so let's move on then to, to Encorta. I mean, just give us the, I suppose, the elevator pitch, what the product is, um, and then we'll kind of go into a bit of detail then really of, of how it solves these problems you've been talking about. So just give us the, I suppose, the, the high-level uh, overview of, of what the product is really. Yeah. So I think the, the way I like to refer to Encorta is it's, it's an analytics platform that really enables you to, from the point of the source system, ingest your data as is, to be able to not have to do all those ETL processes and then run queries against that, whether you use Encorda's own visualization or use something else like Power BI or Tableau or MicroStrategy or even Excel against huge volumes and scales of data that you would not even come close to seeing even come back or perform in other systems. So we have examples of customers that have 
transactions um, that currently in their systems prior to Encorda were taking six to 20 hours to run a standard report. And then they're able to give that exact same report with additional benefits of additional visualizations and ways of looking at their data and have it literally come back in sub-seconds. Um, it, it's pretty unbelievable when you see it. Most people are skeptical. Most people don't believe it's true. And I'm, I'm always a great fan of that because I say that means we're doing something really exciting. If you could believe it, it's probably a marginal improvement. When people just say, I don't believe you, the only thing I say is, that's great. You understand the problem. You understand what we're saying is pretty audacious. But then I just say, well, we've got some amazing customers who are all referenceable with 100% renewal and retention that will speak to you about how this is true. And then if that is true, really the onus is on you to figure out, like, what does that mean for your business? And to ask that question, if these claims are true, what does that mean? Because if those are that transformative to your business, uh, really the onus is on you to figure out, out, you know, is this real or are we just making this up? And obviously with the customers that we have, the renewal rates we have, um, I'm definitely uh, on the camp that this is this is changing the way we approach analytics. Okay, okay. So you're responsible for product um, within your quarter. So just t- give us a bit more, a bit more substantial about what the actual product is in in terms of you know how does it handle the ETL? How does it how does it what does it store data in and so on? Maybe kind of a bit more of a technical thing as to how it actually solves these problems. Yeah, sure. So the, the product, first of all, you know, one of the first questions I get is it is it in the cloud? Is it on premise? And the answer is yes and yes. Uh, so it really gives a good option or a capability for people who maybe have cloud in their strategy but are not ready to go there quite yet that they can install Encoder on premises. Uh, we have a close relationship with Azure. You can go on Azure or AWS and, and run Encoder as well. Uh, so we work in both of those environments. It's a complete software solution. There's no hardware. There's no GPU type processing on it. Uh, so we can work on, um, you know, we're platform agnostic from that perspective. Everything's built around HTML5 and JavaScript. So there's no tools that you need to download for any part of the system from configuration, installation, all the way through to application users going in, looking at their data or analysts looking at their data. Uh, the whole thing is built around, around uh, that HTML5 interface. The core heartbeat of Encorda is definitely this direct data mapping engine that we've gen- which, which we've created. And a little bit about the, what that engine is and what is direct data mapping. So in traditional databases, you have gather schema statistics where you go out and profile the data, generate some schema stats, which then your cost-based optimizer will leverage to make informed guesses, decisions around the execution plan for a query. Within Quarter, we've removed that, made it completely redundant. There is no cost-based optimizer inside of Encorda. When your queries run, they run immediately. And what's unique, this data map that we have really provides the ability for us to know exactly how data relates to to each other in other tables. And so it doesn't have to go guess, should I filter by the city or by this product before... um, before applying filters and going through the, the execution plan, it literally will understand, oh, this transaction relates to this one. And it knows almost like how to directly get there, just kind of like jump to that data point and be able to get it without having to sort the table and go through all of that complexity. That's kind of the, the heartbeat and we're kind of unlocked. A lot of the need to remove ETL and those things. The product also has this you know, ability for you to very easily with a schema wizard, just point at source systems, whether those are applications like Salesforce or ServiceNow or whether those are you know, NetSuite or whether those are 
um, databases that you already have, right? Any kind of database you have in, in internally or in the cloud, you can connect to those. And then also big data um, applications, so big data technologies like Kafka, for example, where you can um, hook in quarter up to that and then bring that data from those applications or from those data sources, bring them into an quarter platform. Um, that process, you know, we can manage the orchestration, the loading. We generate Parquet files, uh, which are open file format standard. We keep that so your data is not proprietary, locked into some format um, that only we can understand. Uh, we keep that data for you, and then we leverage that data for our direct data mapping engines uh, that can give you this query performance on top of it. We also have provided uh, the ability for SQL interface to it too, right? So you don't have to actually, you know, the commoditization of of visualization tools. Um, a lot of people say I'm a Tableau shop or I'm a Power BI shop. And so we wanted the people to realize you don't have to use our visualization. You can connect a different product to it. Um, what our visualization tool gives over others is that it has that tight lineage between the data in the platform and the analyzer tool. So if you're looking at things, you can find out sampling of data. You can look at how, what is the definition of this column? What is, uh, is there any descriptions about it? So all the metadata around the data to curate meaningful data sets is kind of um, brought to the surface. So those who are generating insights are able to, to look at it. So that's, as a nutshell, kind of the main bit. There's one final bit, right? We've seen a lot talk about AI. And so we also have PySpark um, embedded within our platform. And we can leverage that so you can build machine learning algorithms inside the platform and orchestrate those and have transactional data merged with or, or joined with, with AI-based models and the output of those AI-based models so that business users can then slice and dice that and interact with it um, this is having to kind of go through some lengthy data science kind of route. Okay, I mean, there's a lot. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of products and a lot of technology in there. Really, um, how do you? I mean, you mentioned earlier on that you you involved in bringing together data from, say, I don't know, PeopleSoft and, and EBS and, and and so on. And presumably, part of the challenge of that was to come up with a single kind of customer master or to to uh, did, did you did you did you duplicate customer records in different systems? I mean, how? How does Incorsa help with that kind of problem, really? Yeah, so when I was at Oracle, I was working on creating that very first Fusion development instance. And that was largely at the time as Oracle Warehouse Builder. And we, <clears throat> we, we, took, we took those, um, we actually created a program to automatically generate um, the, the graphs to, to run as part of the ETL jobs. And that was taking these objects from EBS release 12 and then pushing them directly into um, Fusion and then also bringing the data along with it. Um, it came pretty challenging, of course, when you would have things like, you know, um, your TCA models or your customer definition, which would span across both, which was going to be the source of truth. Um, there was no UI for developers, so they couldn't enter data. It had to be done by pulling those things in. So there was a lot of work around doing that to get something that the development teams could, who were focusing on the back end at the beginning, um, the EOs and the VOs and the AMs, for example, for them to be able to get up and running. So it it was you know a, a full time job just to kind of manage this, and you know probably that's when I went completely bald um, during that time, um, and so. That's that's kind of kind of the, the the fundamental challenge, if you like. Um, in the world of Encoder, it's kind of been fun to see companies. I uh, worked with one company; they actually had forty ERP systems, uh, which you know I 
kind of hadn't heard about that for a while because I was kind of kind of surprised, but um, they had a lot of these ERP systems. And within Quora, they're able to create one data model and feed all of those in using multi-source queries just to be able to bring them in. And again, because the data wasn't fundamentally having to be changed, it becomes really easy. Um, you can just bring the tables in, replicate them. Uh, we literally have examples where we've done uh, disparate data sets and brought them in in you know half a day, right? You go in, install the software, hook it up to a couple of systems, bring in the data. And that same day, you're seeing insights that literally customers have said, I would have expected six weeks, six months before I see anything. We had one example of a product profitability. There was a, a customer that was look, has 28,000 stores worldwide. And they want to analyze um, all of their SKUs by store location. And, and they knew at a regional level what was going on, but they didn't know down to the store level for every single SKU for every day what was going on and how, how, pro, um, how profitable each one of their products were. Uh, they'd allocated about $2 million for this project and about a year to do it. Within Quora, uh, it was done in 10 weeks. I've been able to bring that in and to turn that around. And now the business users can imagine now for an extra nine to 10 months will have access to data that they didn't have before. Plus, the other beauty is they have access to 40,000 columns worth of EBS data in this particular case. Um, and they didn't have to make those assumptions of like, well, what's the data we want to bring in? It's all there. At any point in time, they can say, hmm, that's interesting. What if I slice it this way? And they're able to go in, add that filter or add that column and be able to make that change. And it literally becomes like a 20-second exercise, which you know, our customers are telling us prior to Encorda, that would be 10, 12 weeks for any change to their data warehouse. Okay. So, so obviously the ETL side sounds interesting. Um, how do you then store the data uh, in such a way that you can slice and dice it by any way you want? It sounds like you've got some of the performance of, of, um, of, of an OLAP cube, uh, and you've, but you've got also the, um, I suppose the flexibility of a relational database and maybe kind of, I suppose, the openness of, say, uh, a NoSQL key value store database. I mean, what, what, what is the kind of the, the, data, the underlying database engine technology that you work with, really? So we actually built the Encorda engine from the ground up. It's 100% um, Encorda designed and engineered. And we leverage uh, the data being stored in a columnar format in Parquet. Uh, but once we have that data there, we we use our engine to run against that. And we've really focused on the one use case, right? We didn't want to make a multi-purpose database that could be used to run your business applications on. We wanted to create something for the sole purpose of doing analytics. And so we, we've really focused on that. And you can kind of think of it as we built, you know, a race car, right? And when you build a race car, it's very different than building a luxury uh, car for people to commute in. So there's no AC, there's no... Um, you know, electric mirrors and all those kind of things. We made it go really, really fast, but we made it handle what you want to do in analytics um, as the primary use case. And so with that, uh, these engines are able to, and there's actually multiple engines, but they all leverage the direct data mapping. So we have a pivot engine, an aggregation engine, a search engine, um, a filtering engine. All of those things inside of Encorda are specifically built to do that task and they all leverage this direct data map, which really is the, the secret to how Encorda is able to give this you know, earth-shattering performance. Um, it's one of the things that I think really is, once people understand what this is and how transformative that is, it's, it kind of never ceases to amaze us how fast it is. Uh, you kind of forget sometimes 
after you've been using and I've been using Quarter now for years and years. And when I actually go back and sometimes see customers' environments, I just forget. You know, I hired um, someone a few years back and after six months, he said, I just had my most frustrating day ever. And I was like, oh man, what happened? He goes, well, I wasn't using it in Quarter. I had to use, you know, I won't say the name, this other product. And it was so frustrating. I couldn't get anything out. It took me hours just to get five metrics to do a comparison. And sometimes you just forget, we get so adapted to change. People don't realize that their systems shouldn't be the way they are and that there is a better way of doing it. And then other customers that get into the quarter way, they forget the, what the world was like. It's amazing how our memories are like that. Okay, okay. So, um, okay, so how, talk, talk me through a typical, I suppose, onboarding um, and say development process that you'd have. Say, say imagine I was a customer and I, and, and I had I had um, uh, you know, EBS and I had financials and I had uh, you know PeopleSoft and whatever. H- how does the that onboarding process go? And how does a typical I suppose a first engagement go to to work with this really? Yeah, in, in reality, as I mentioned, no one believes us, right? That the people are skeptical and they say, "No way, you're doing something behind the scenes." I don't believe you. Now, what generally happens is you know we do POCs. No one's generally willing to buy a product that they think that just doesn't even, I can't believe that's real. What that looks like is, let's say in the case of EBS, we'd go to a customer and we would install in quarter uh, in about 20 minutes, everything's up and running and they would connect to their data source. That generally is the most difficult part is making sure that the, you know, the servers we have actually have the ports open so we can actually create a JDBC connection. It's kind of, kind of funny, but that's the most difficult bit, right? The moment someone can give us a valid JDBC connection from that box, we're kind of off to the races. Then within 15 minutes, you've probably brought in the accounts receivable data or payables data and have some dashboards up and running. Literally, we have application modules that we can um, you can run through in quarter. You can say, hey, I'm interested in this particular topic. In quarter, we'll do the data lineage, figure out these are the objects I need. Here are the joins. If you're familiar with EBS, there's no foreign key relationships in the database, but we've automatically built in detection that will say these are the joins that we know about and we'll deploy those for you. And so you don't have to do that work. And then you can just start slicing and dicing on it. And so really customers see that and they go, wow, that, that's really unbelievable. And then they just want to start pushing the limits and they might spend a couple of weeks just using the product, trying to find out, um, can it do more? Can it do more? Can it do more? And they keep throwing more at it, right? Bring in more data sets. Well, let me see if I bring in this other data set or this legacy data set. Can I handle this stuff I have on, on mainframes, all right? And we're seeing customers go down those paths as well. It's, it's, it's been pretty extraordinary to see the, the different use cases getting thrown at us at this point. Okay. Okay. So I suppose another, I mean, the elephant in the room we've not really mentioned in here is, is, is Oracle themselves. And, and there's the BI apps, for example, out there, which I think it's in that one of its transition periods at the moment, but particularly, you know, customers are being encouraged to move to the cloud and, and there's solutions coming along there. You know, if a customer said to you, um, this is very interesting, but we're thinking about moving our data into the cloud and we're thinking about a package app, app solution in general, um, you know, what would your reaction to that be? How would you kind of potentially position your product against maybe a package solution running in the cloud? Just doing the same thing you've done for 20 years, but just thinking, you know, in the cloud, sure, you get some elasticity or you don't have to pay for um, the support of the, the, the hardware and the services. But in essence, nothing's changed, right? It's still the same old ETL process behind it. 
Uh, and while there's, I'm not going to say that, you know, that there's definitely benefits, right? I'm not going to say there's no benefit to going to the cloud. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of the cloud. I'm in favor of the cloud. Absolutely. Um, going to the cloud makes sense, but that doesn't really change anything. Your business users, how's that going to change their lives, right? Um, maybe it makes a little bit marginal improvement for yourself. And that, that's what I've seen, right? People can say, hey, that's something I understand, something I can get. It's, it's not that um, disruptive to my flow. It gives me a marginal improvement. I'll go and put this in the cloud and then um, you know, use those systems that way. But really, what has changed? I mean, not, not a lot, right? It's, it's, it's still the same, same thing behind the scenes. I think you know you'd be too polite to say this, really. But I mean, one of the one of the kind of the, uh, the I suppose the uh, the dirty secrets of any packaged application really is that it, I think it typically sells well to the people that don't actually have to use it. <clears throat> and um, you know, a package solution is good, but it never seems often to be the thing that users actually need. A lot of the content is often thrown away, and and and, and either they're not customized to what they want, or or the work to customize what they've got is 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 kind of massive. I mean, looking at that as a thing with your products, once you've done the initial um, onboarding, how easy is it to then evolve what you're delivering and evolve the, the, the analytics as the needs actually emerge, really? Um, so you're not stuck with what it is you did on the first on the first day? Yeah, great question. So one of the things I think is pretty interesting is uh, Shutterfly is a customer of ours, and they took Oracle, um, EBS, uh, their supply chain, advanced supply chain, um, products and, and some other EBS modules around inventory, et cetera, and they leveraged in quarter. So we went in and, and within four weeks, they or four to five weeks, they were in production on five, five modules, I believe, on EBS. And what we were able to do for them was uh, we put in a semantic layer in place. So we brought the physical tables in as is, mirrored them from source. We then had a semantic layer because quite honestly, your analysts don't want to deal with tens or 20, 30, 40, 50 table tables when they're doing analysis, they want to look at somewhat kind of flattened views of the world. Um, the problem is, is that the flattening of those is very expensive. So we say, just don't flatten them, but you can virtually flatten them. You can have a definition that looks like a view, right? A descriptive view. So we have those inside of our platform. And then we gave some sample dashboards. And then uh, what we found is the, the business users, those who had never built dashboards before in their lives, went out and said, I like your dashboards, but I'm going to build my own. And um, you know, Rachel from Shutterfly went out and built 30 dashboards to run her business. And what's pretty cool is when you look at those, you know, days on hand supply, all of these kind of things that they have available, they're able to look at. And what's really, I think, quite exciting is the willingness of our customers to then share that with us. And so they have been sharing it, you know, Broadcom has been sharing, uh, Keysight has been sharing the application content that they build. And then other customers are able to benefit from it. And because we're not going through an ETL process that's curating data to a certain format, these things are massively deployable across customers. And so you can literally take the work that's been done at Shutterfly and deploy it at another customer. Uh, we did that at like Guitar Chocolate, where we, you know, very small company, very small IT team, but able to benefit from the collective knowledge that our encoding customers are sharing and being able to leverage those and say, oh, this is how Shutterfly looks at this. Um, so we can look at my chocolate bars in stock and days on hand of supply. All these kind of things become very easy for people to leverage across. If you have an ETL process, it's a black box. It's got tons of stuff in it, and nobody has an off-the-shelf ETL box uh, that works, right? It's not a black box. You end up getting it 
pulling it apart and trying to put it back together. Don't care who it is, right? Domo. Looks like it's a nice way to bring it, but it's still ETL process behind the scenes. ThoughtSpot, still ETL process behind the scenes. That's kind of the bit that people don't like to show, right? They never lead with that in a demo. They always show other things. And then when you push them, so how's the data getting in? Where's that going? How did you make that assumption? It's like, okay, it's still there. It's a star schema. It's a flattened view. It's aggregated tables and it's data pipelines. And then we have companies that are jumping up about, well, let's just automate it. Let's just put investment into data warehouse automation. And I'm like, still the same thing. Still the same way of doing it. Put it in the cloud, automate it. Still the same thing. Sure, it may be a little bit less painful, but we're really slapping Band-Aids on everything versus going to the root cause. And the root cause is, why do we need to change the shape of the data? When I took my very first class in school on SQL, I didn't know the queries wouldn't run at scale, right? I learned a select statement, put it together, boom, run it. It's like if I only ever took SQL 101 or the first year of SQL and then took it to an enterprise application or Fortune 100 company running um, their business applications on an Oracle database or any other database, right? Uh, We're completely agnostic. I know we spoke a lot about Oracle EBS. Um, It's my background, but, you know, we have customers who are not EBS at all, like, most of our customers are not uh, on the whole. You know, a lot of them have some ERP systems. But those queries won't run, right? There'll be snapshot too old error, error messages. You'll have queries that will never come back. It, it's just a mess. And what if that would work? What would that mean if I could just run the SQL, like very rudimentary in the way that I thought I could, but I was never able to? And I kind of scratched my head. And then remembered Oracle, I would go to, um, Ahmed Al- Alamari or Lester Gutierrez, who are like the performance gurus, right? Super smart guys. I wasn't smart enough to figure out how to get my SQL to work. And then they say, oh, we need to denormalize. We need to take this data. Let's get rid of that join. And we would do all these things, even with an application development. We would say, if you're doing a join just to get like a status code or something, let's put the status code on the transaction. Let's get rid of that join. It's going to be faster. If it's more than three fields, okay, then we'll leave it out. We start to have to do all these things to constantly work around this one limitation. No one's been able to fix it until now. Now that we change it, it changes the approach. But everyone is so gung-ho going down these paths. I'm just saying, look, we're all going in the wrong direction. It's innovation down the same path. It's the wrong path. There's a different way. That's where we need to be going. Fantastic, fantastic. So I'm going to ask you in a second how people find out more about Encorta. But um, before I do that... What is, I mean, you, you're, you're tackling now the, the problem of ETL and, and, and so on. What, what's the, to your mind, what's the next kind of customer problem that you see out there that hasn't been addressed or, or the next challenge or the next kind of, I suppose, in a way, speed bump in, in, in getting analytics in people's hands? I think that's around self-service. I think what we're seeing, right, is people are coming in and almost like back in the 90s, I don't know if you remember on people's resumes and CVs, they would put Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel as like some of their skills, right? Um, it kind of seems ridiculous to put that on your resume right now. Like, I know PowerPoint or I know Keynote. People like kind of laugh at you. Um, today, I think the new one is um, data, data-driven or and you know can do analysis and things like that. And so you've got all these people, this proliferation of content. I, you know, I've seen companies with 17,000 plus um, dashboards that they've created, and they have no clue what's going on with them. You ask them, which ones are being used? No idea. Um, but you need to move, you know, my platform to say, well, I need a migration path because I got 17,000 reports. I'm like 17,000 reports. Like, 
Like, what in the world is going on? And this is only going to get worse. I think it's only just begun. And so are you able to answer questions and how do you manage that, right? How do I bring formal process to things that maybe get viral, right? Someone creates a dashboard and then shares it with someone. And then all of a sudden that becomes the hot thing. That probably might, should be productized. So someone should look at it and say, wow, is this actually correct? Are people using right data? Um, I think people are using data like a hammer and they're going around hitting people. I've heard nightmare stories of people literally laying off people because of data and then finding out the data was wrong. I'm like, that's, that's pretty bad, right? And that's, you know, no one died, but hey, right, that's affecting livelihoods and, and the ramifications of how we use data in that way, I think, need to be figured out. And so one of the things I'm pretty passionate about is how do you, how do you, bring, how do you bring sanity to what we're building? And I kind of feel like the illustration is this. It's like before we had CRM software, people were just managing their you know sales and they would kind of say i think we look good for the quarter or whatever when it comes to analytics i feel it's a little bit like that what what's the analytical app that people use to deliver analytical applications how are people doing a b testing like are the analytics you're building actually even doing anything like i contend that a lot of these dashboards that people build are pretty much the most expensive pieces of virtual art sitting on a virtual corridor that maybe nobody looks at. And even if they do look at it, maybe it doesn't even change or move the needle in any shape or form. How are you measuring that? How do you know which users actually use your data, which dashboards are actually being used, which reports are useful, and which ones actually can you can attribute um, investment as being worthwhile, right? All of those things I think we've got to figure out because this proliferation of people saying they're data savvy, that they know what they're doing and just give me access to the data. And then you get in these rooms and you have people saying, well, my report says this and someone says my report says that. And then everyone's scratching their head going, you know, which one's real? Uh, those days, you know, we've got to come to a point, I think, of being uh, data uh, literate. Uh, to a sense of that we really understand how to use data and how to ask questions and really how to challenge data. I see sometimes that people don't do that kind of, you know, we talk about journalism and rigor of investigative journalism and how that's dying and people only read the headlines and all those kind of things. I feel like that's happening with data. People just read the headlines. They don't dig into the details and often they couldn't because it was only aggregate detail. How could you drill down to the details when you never had them? It became super expensive to say, okay, here's an aggregate number. We're down on this product. I should not sell it anymore. But then how do I drill into that to actually see what's going on to understand exactly what were the transactions behind it? How do I have confidence that the high-level aggregations I'm looking at are correct? Because I would contend that probably over 50 to 60% of the time, somewhere you have data problems that you don't even know you have. I've worked with customers that literally have had values that report into the street that have been incorrect. And then they found out. And it's that nobody wants that. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'll look, I'll look out for, um, I'll look out for your thoughts on that in the future thing. Cause I mean, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think that's, um, that's the kind of next step. That's one of the next big challenges really. Um, so, so how, how would people find out about uh, Incorta and how would they, I suppose, get to experience the technology and get to try and, I suppose, in a way, t test out what you're saying here, really. I mean, it sounds fantastic. What's the next stage in, in, in establishing if this is the right thing for them? Yeah, I think, obviously, there's Encorda.com. No need to even say that, right? But there's there's two things. There's The first thing is, one, is understand that the problem that we solve, 
I think a lot of people sometimes look at Encoder and they just bring in like a single source data set, right? A single flattened table and then just evaluate it, feeling like it's a visualization tool. Completely wrong way of doing it. And, and if you're going to do that, I'd honestly say you could find better products at this point. Um, you know, If you were going to bring in a highly complex data set, that's something that more mirrors exactly your backend systems that you have, your application data models that you have, and leverage those. I guarantee that you know you'll find nothing that comes close to Encoder. So there's a number of ways you can learn more, right? On our website, you'll find there's uh, blog entries, there's eBooks, there's webinars. There was a webinar from actually yesterday that Key uh, Keysight provided with actually demo of their live system. We have another one where Shutterfly demoed their live system, showing Encoder, showing how they're using it and how it's transformed their business for them. Um, there's also, you can reach out and schedule, you know, demos. We're happy to show it. But as I mentioned, a lot of people, a lot of skepticism, um, people who are not skeptics generally don't understand the problem. Those who are skeptics become some of our biggest ambassadors and, um, tell others about the product and become real passionate champions about it. Um, and so I've had conversations with diehard data modelers, types who actually make a living presenting at data warehousing conferences and spent days with them. And literally when they get it, they're like, oh my goodness, this really is changing everything in terms of what we've been doing and how we've approached analytics, data warehousing, ETL, and and just what we're doing in that space. Okay, fantastic. Well, brilliant. Well, it's been great speaking to you, Matthew. Uh, appreciate you coming on the show and uh, good luck with the product. And uh, yeah, hopefully some people will kind of check you out and uh, maybe get some kind of uh, benefit out of what you're doing. Great. Thanks, Mark. It was a privilege speaking to you. It was kind of fun reminiscing about some of the old times at Oracle and um, <laughs> seeing where we, we will head up in the future. But uh, great yeah, chatting. Yeah. Warehouse builder. Excellent. <laughs> Make me laugh. <laughs> um, cheers. Okay, take care.